our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Today's Thursday, which means we're bringing you Girls at Startup, a weekly series where we spill the tea on how to create a seven-figure side hustle because no one saves their way to wealth. You're joined today by Sim, a seven-figure business owner, and with me, I have the treat of having Bree for a four-part series, a six-figure business owner who made her first six figures in the first year of business. We are so excited to have Bree join us for a mini-series. I cannot wait to get started. So let's get into the show and of course, let us know what you think. Now, before we get into the episode, we want to thank our season sponsor, RentApp. Paying rent is a hassle, but what if we told you there's an easier and more straightforward way? Meet RentApp, your ultimate rent paying sidekick. No more ATM trips, no more checks, and no more app juggling. RentApp deposits your rent directly into your landlord's account hassle-free. Plus, it's free to you and your landlord doesn't need an account either. But here's the kick. RentApp doesn't just stop at rent. They're all about helping you build a brighter financial future. There's even an option to report rent payments to boost your credit score, making homeownership more achievable. For our GTI listeners, we've got an exclusive deal. Use our referral link rent.app slash GTI for $50 cash back on your first rent payment. Ready to simplify? Check out the referral link in the description or head over to rent.app slash GTI and make rent a breeze. Hello, Brie. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Sim. I'm so happy to be here. I have been really looking forward to having you on the podcast for a number of reasons. But the first one was I still remember seeing you, you know, when you meet someone and you're like, oh, they've got the X factor, like they've got it. I remember seeing you on TikTok of all places and you were this like young, vibrant, you still are, but you were like this young, vibrant, like person from New Zealand that was like a day in my life. Watch me do this. I'm going to be doing that. And people were so interested. And I, I started following along your journey and I was like, I'm not even in marketing. Like I'm not even in PR. I'm not even in the space of advertising. And yet I want to be an advertising girly because (laughs) of you. And all that led to me being like, oh, this person is going to make it big. Like she is on the trajectory of success. And I want to learn from her. 
You've made my head big so much already from just that one line. Thank you. I love that platform so much and I love sharing what I do. So to have someone like you that's got an established platform on TikTok as well, saying that means a lot. I feel like your platform is more established on TikTok. Are you kidding me, Sim? I have 13,000 followers. You've got a strategy down. Like You've got a yes. brand down. Yes. And we'll talk about that in a later episode. But yeah, my TikToks are just me putting on, don't laugh, my TikToks are just me putting like eye cream on my eye and text. <laughs> yeah, but with millions of views. <laughs> Come on. I posted it the other day and someone on Instagram commented and she was like, the same video again. <laughs> really? Really, Sim? Sim? We're kind of getting over this one now. <laughs> Work smarter, not harder. But for those listening in today, we've all kind of got this question about your work. We've seen you do really well for yourself. You're really young. You've bought your dream car. You live a beautiful life. Like I watch your stories and I'm like, she's just got her ish together. <laughs> But I'm sure that wasn't how it started. And no one like comes out of the womb with, I don't know, a book on how to be a good business owner and the confidence of, I don't know, like a Viking. Like you've just done so well. But what was your story? Did you have like family members that were good at business? Did you just always, were you always surrounded Mm -hmm. by successful people? Mm -hmm. Like what was your story to get you to where you are today? I love that question. So growing up, my parents were business owners. My mum's family owned a real estate company out in South Auckland. So my nana owned it, she ran it. And then when I was about five, my mum and dad brought it off her. And so from the age of five, I watched my parents run a business. And it was actually during the 2008 recession when things got really hard. Real estate and property was something that took a big hit. So I watched the adversity that they went through going from having a really successful business to all of a sudden house stopped selling commission stopped staff left and so over about a one to two year period we had a really tough time as a family but then watching them bounce back and grow the company from there I really got to see that from a young age and so to watch that and to be involved in the conversations that they were having at home they didn't hide anything from us we knew exactly what was going on we could hear the conversations as to how they were going to bounce back and make things work so I think learning that from a young age was amazing and it's actually quite funny so when I was young my mum was a breadwinner in the family my mum went out to work and in real estate you work weekends mm-hmm. Saturday Sunday open homes every day you're working at night you're doing appraisals you're always doing stuff on the hours where people are at home. So my dad actually raised us when we were young. He was at home all the time. He was the office manager. So he had the flexibility of being there with us and mum was out making the money. And so I think seeing her work really hard and sacrifice a lot, a lot of family time, a lot of social time, I really learned what hard work was from a young age. Can we go back to 2008? Because that sounds like a really interesting time. A lot of us in 2008 had parents had nine to five jobs. So we maybe saw like work stress, but a business stress in the actual industry that was most affected, which was real estate. That is insane. What was that like? It was really interesting because like I said, they involved us in all the conversations. So we did know that there was a lot of money stresses. There was a lot of money worries. But because mum and dad were so motivated as workers and as business owners, they never once wanted to throw in the towel. They always figured out how they could make more money or make things work. And for them, they pivoted to the rental role. So they understood, right, if we can go out and get more houses on our books, then we can have guaranteed income every single week. But there was a period of time where they looked had a couple of thousand dollars in their bank account with a mortgage with kids it was a lot of pressure and so to try balance that but still give us everything that they did 
we were so blessed, so blessed. They did such a great job, but it was quite stressful there for a few years. And when they, you say they like were open to you about it, did they like sit you down? Was it quite like a formal, like, hey, Brie, things aren't doing so well, we're a bit tight, or was it, you know, like you'd be shopping and they'd be like, look, we're not getting this. Like, mm. how would they be open? It definitely wasn't a formal thing, but they just didn't hide those conversations from us. So they would talk openly in the kitchen or in the lounge. And we always had kind of an open communication rule in our house when it came to everything else. So I think business was no exception. And I have a twin sister, mm-hmm. Simone, and so we really had each other all the time. So mum and dad are talking about money stress and money worries and business. And we kind of just sat there with each other and we could talk about it and like internalize it together, which was really nice. Uh, but yeah, it was a couple of years there where things were really tough, but you know what property's like, it bounces back pretty quickly. So it was really nice to see that kind of dip and then that adversity and they overcame that and then they came out on top and it was a really cool journey to be a part of. What did that teach you at such a young age? Great question. It just taught me you can push through, don't give up. When things get really tough, it's very easy to throw on the towel. And dad could have gone back to doing what he did beforehand and mum could have found another job too. But they didn't give up. They knew that in the long run, things were going to be okay. It was going to bounce back. But at the time, it was really difficult. Of course. Oh, my goodness. And so that happened 2008. How old were you? You must have been like Probably six. nine. Oh, nine. Yeah, I think I'm one year older than what the year is. Right, it's 2023 now, I'm 24. So yeah, I was nine. That's how I figure it out. Because you were born in 99. 1999, yes. Yes, okay. Okay, I'm with you. (laughs) And so you were nine years old. Were you in school? Were you like the good kid? Were you the studious kid? I feel like you were. (gasps) Great question. I feel like in school... I was definitely like a people pleaser to all the teachers. So I would tell them what they wanted to hear. I'd act how they wanted me to act. I wasn't actually very academic at all in any way. I was quite creative and I really loved sport. So anything with art or creativity or sport, I thrived at, I loved. And then anything on the academic side, I actually really struggled with throughout primary and high school. Did that make you feel like you weren't going to be destined? Because I feel like school was such a formative time and they really drilled into you. Like if you're good at academics, you're going to be successful. And if you get like, I don't know, a B or in our case, like an achieved, Mm -hmm. you're going to fail. I'm going to tell you something that I don't tell a lot of people, but I actually did fail high school. So I didn't get university entrance at the end of my year 13. And at the time I was going through a lot of family stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I did get accepted on compassionate grounds to go back and reset a couple of essays or exams so I could get my UE. But at the time, I honestly had not locked in any degree. I was 18. I had no idea what I wanted to do because I just didn't have a focus on my studies or my school or anything. I was having the best time with my friends and then I had some family stuff go on. And so for me, it wasn't a priority. So mm-hmm. going back, having to reset those exams and essays, I was like, oh my God, I need to put myself together here. Like I can't be like this in high school. But yeah, I actually did fail, which is crazy. So at the time when that happened, I thought there's no way I'm going to ever be able to achieve anything successful if I can't go to uni like that was the misconception I had is that you had to go to uni to be successful what made you consider like because a lot of people would hear that and feel that and go okay well I didn't get into university entrance I didn't get my enough credits whatever I'm just destined to fail there's a real fixed mindset of like I'm not intelligent and this is going to be me for the rest of my life and I'm just going to bum around until you know like that's just who I am sounds like you didn't do that. sounds like you were able to keep trying. What was it in you? Like, did you have 
some external factors that made you think, no, I can do this? Great question. I've actually always had this thing my whole life and I'm not sure where it's come from, whether it's my parents or something else I've gone through. But for me, there is always a solution and a way to get to a point that you want to get to. And if I have that mindset, in a situation like that, then to me, there's no doubting I'm going to get where I want to. And so when I got those results back and it said, you failed, you haven't got UE, you can't get into any university in New Zealand. There wasn't a moment in my mind where I thought, oh my God, I'm just going to have to go do something else. I looked at every solution under the sun and it was me actually going to the school and being like, hey guys, this is what's happened. This is my situation right now. Is there any way where I can come back over summer, do extra papers, sit with the teachers, I'll do anything I need to do in order to try get UE for Feb. There was no moment where I sat back and thought, oh my God, now I'm just going to have to go get a job and do something that I don't love. There was no doubting that I was going to get into university. I just had to figure out what the path was to get there. What would you call that as a trait? I would call it drive and I would call it not taking no for an answer. Yeah. It's like when you're, a door is shut in your face and you're told no, it's very easy to go, okay, well, I'm not getting back through that door, but I'm banging on that door, man. I'm like, let me in. How am I going to get through that door? You're like, please. <laughs> yeah. Please How? Thank you. But in a nice way. Yeah, yeah, of course. I would absolutely call it that. Maya, who is our co-host, who is on wedding leave right now. Oh, exciting. That's amazing. She and I always talk on the podcast on Girls at Startup and we say that the best trait that we see in business owners is resourcefulness. Mm. And I think you have that, like the ability to look into and be like, the answer isn't in front of me, but I'm going to find it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to do it myself and I'm not going to wait on someone to do it. That is incredible. I love that. That is so true. And that is definitely a trait and a quality that I see in a lot of the business owners I work with is they don't just take what's in front of them as is. They find a way to get what they want. And it's not always easy and it's not always straightforward, but they always find a way. And what was your relationship with money like as a kid? Because it sounds like you had some and then it was a little bit like shaky and then it kind of came back with your parents. What was it like personally for you? We were very lucky when we were in our teenage years because the business was thriving. Mum and dad were doing very well. And so we had a beautiful lifestyle. We had a beautiful big house. We never really had to worry about money. But mum and dad did teach me from a young age, I do need to start making my own money. So from the age of 14, I worked at a hair salon. I washed hair in the basin and I dried the hair and I sweeped up the hair from the floor and I got paid $10 an hour. And I worked there every weekend and after work on the late night. And so that was my first job. And so getting a taste of working for money really motivated me because mm -hmm. you can get handed money like mum and dad would give us pocket money or like a small allowance but that didn't really fulfill me because I didn't earn it for myself and so when I had my first job and I was getting handed cash at the end of the day I was like oh my god this feeling is just the best feeling I think I got hooked on like making money and I'm still like that now I'm like first to admit it I love making money but working for it yeah because it's more rewarding and so from there I worked as a lifeguard mm -hmm. at the Papakura Pools and that was eye-opening. Yeah, I was going to say, well, that sounds like you've got stories. <laughs> yeah, I've got a lot of stories. I got proposed to three times. Proposed At the to. age of 16 by random drunk men that would come in. like At the pool? At the pool. Drunk? Yep. Yeah, it was crazy. People would pull their pants down at me. Like it was <gasps> the assault. most wild experience ever. It was so fun. I loved it. Like 95% of the time, it was a great job, but you did see a lot out there. Yeah, I think you saw more than you should have. Yeah, yeah. It was very funny. People were hilarious but that was also going to school out in South Auckland and also working out there I got a lot of 
gratitude of my life and mm. my lifestyle and my job and my family because you do see a lot out there and so it was amazing for me to have that perspective of like oh my god I'm so blessed absolutely for those that are listening in because not a lot of our listeners are from New Zealand where um, Bree's talking about was I guess you could consider it like a schooling area where you'd call it like a lower socioeconomic schooling area where there were definitely people from all different backgrounds but what, what high school did you go to? Oh, Rose I went to Rosal College. Yes. yes, one of my best friends went to Rosal. Really? Yes. Rosal has produced some incredible students, mm-hmm. genuinely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have friends that became like doctors from Rosal. I have friends that became accountants. It's a beautiful school. It was a great school. I loved my time there. And my parents actually weighed up sending my sister and I to a private school. ACG? Yep, so Strathallen was one option. I did the open day at St. Kent's. We went to Barradine. And after seeing all three of those schools at year eight, I just wanted to go where my girlfriends were from primary school, and that was Rose Hill College. And my parents were really against it. Yeah. And so they gave us a year at Rose Hill at a public school because we had the money to go private if we wanted to. And they said, we're going to give you a year, see how your behavior is, see the kind of friend groups that you get. They were very open with us, again, about this. These are the things that we need to see from you guys in your first year of public schooling to see if you can stay there for the rest of the time and we got the best friend group best teachers behavior probably changed a little bit I probably swore a little bit more than I did before (laughs) but honestly it was a great experience I'm so glad I did not go to a public a private school you could have been a dio girl I know I could have been (laughs) I actually love that so you did that, you didn't quite get into uni first time, got your, you know, university entrance credits. How did you get into like what school like what do you study and how did it get you to your job, which you were so well known for, which was working with Ian, working for all these amazing brands? So I studied a Bachelor of Communications at AUT. And again, there was absolutely no thought into this degree at all. I got UE at the end of December. It was literally a week before Christmas and I had to enroll in some course. And I said to my friend group, what are you guys all doing? And three of them said a Bachelor of Communications. Amazing, safe. I'll be with friends. Let's enroll in that. There was genuinely no thought around what job could I do with this degree. I just went where my friends were. And everyone always laughs when I tell them that because they're like, wait, did you not want to do marketing from a young age? It's like, no, I just wanted to be with my friends. And so my first year was actually great. And I did a range of, of different things. So we did journalism, we did radio, we did public relations. And then in my second year, it's actually crazy. I followed a brand called Bambi Boutique on Instagram at the time, which was Ia's company. And she put up on the story, looking for marketing interns or PR, send your CV to me via email, here's the details. And I remember just going, having this gut feeling, I think call it intuition now that I look back and just going, this could be perfect. I still don't know what I want to go into. Is it journalism? Is it PR? Is it radio? But when I saw that, I just had this kind of fire inside me that thought this feels really right. Mm-hmm. And so I remember articulating an email. It took me like the entire day and it was to air and it was just like, this is me. This is what I do. This is my strengths. Here's my CV. And I remember clicking send and being really nervous because at the time that account had like 80,000 followers. And I thought there's no way that I'm going to be the only one applying for this. And she literally replied to me in two minutes saying, can you start Monday? Here's the address, bring your laptop. And I just remember dancing around my room, being so excited in my second year of uni that I'd landed this unpaid internship 
with this great company. I was just so pumped. And from there, I think working under her and having her as a mentor and seeing how she launched businesses in the event space and the marketing space and the e-commerce space, I really honed in on what I wanted to do from having that real world experience. Mm-hmm. And, and for context, Ia, I don't know how I would describe her to someone that isn't from New Zealand, but she was like, she was like our Sophia Maruso. She's like the OG e-com marketing girly. She was my inspiration when I was younger because I was like, oh my God, a woman of color who is young, who comes from a similar area to me, has like created this six, seven figure business. She got Kylie Jenner to wear her waist trainer. Like that, that was the story. Mm-hmm. That was the selling point. She had a G-Wagon, like G-wagon, the yes. G-Wagon was life-changing. I don't think we'd even seen a G-Wagon in New Zealand until she, I don't, where did she get hers from? Like that was. Great question. <laughs> that was the question I always wondered. And so you got to learn from, I would call her like a marketing veteran. Mm-hmm, absolutely. What was that like? It was amazing. And it was funny at the time, now E has quite a public persona, but at the time she didn't, mm-hmm. she was just starting to get PR around the car and her businesses. So I really got to see from the start, how she dealt with all of that. It was a lot. There was a lot of good press, a lot of bad press. She was growing a lot as a personal public figure. So I got to watch that entire journey and learn, I guess, essentially being in the public eye, having a business, having a lot of people, having opinions on your businesses. Mm -hmm. I kind of got to see how she dealt with all of that. And it was amazing to learn. One of the things about Ear that I found really sad was she was again one of the first young women to make a lot of money in New Zealand that didn't do it through like I always thought you had to be a doctor to be rich like that was the way we grew up or you had to own a business or be a real estate agent and Ear kind of showed that there's this world out there called online businesses and marketing and social and you can use social media to grow these businesses and you can use like she was probably the first person in New Zealand to do influencer marketing Mm -hmm. and when I find in countries like ours or in places where things are new there are people that go this is amazing this is fantastic this is inspiring I've never seen so much backlash at a young female founder and I think it was because she was the first but people would say horrific things like people called her a scammer I was like Mm -hmm. you're buying the product and you get the product. Where is the scam? There were a lot of things said, a lot of news articles that came out, a lot of comments on social media. Ia dealt with it in a really inspiring way. She didn't let it get to her. I mean, maybe to her staff, that's how she put a good face on. There was never one time where I saw her stressed or upset. She definitely read them and I could tell there was a small amount inside her that just wanted to prove everyone wrong and say, no, this is not actually factual, what you're saying, what you're commenting, what some of these headlines are. But she actually dealt with it with a lot of grace and watching her be so calm when everyone is saying awful things was really inspiring. Do you think that there was anything else that you were able to take away from that time? I think with Ear in general and learning from her and working under her, it was definitely her ability to take risks, but mm-hmm. calculated risks. Some of the time she would do like big influencer payments of like $25,000, $30,000 to an influencer in America who she's never worked with before. We don't have any stats on how any other collaborations have gone. And so her ability to take a risk based on the information she has in front of her was a huge learning because I feel like I still apply that today. Mm -hmm. And although my parents were risk takers in business too, having a young female, like you said, who is doing it, I go, oh my God, she's doing it. I could probably do it at some point. So that was one of my biggest learnings from Ia. She paid Kylie Jenner $300,000. That's $300,000 when you're in your early 20s. 
sorry, I've got my investing hat on. Like that, <laughs> here she goes. And it starts, you know, you could have bought a home outright <laughs> in that time, you know, and just had the rental income in. You could have put it down in a index fund. Mm-hmm. She could have invested into Canva. And mm-hmm. like, there's so many things, don't laugh. There's so many things that you could do. And she chose to give it for one Instagram post to Kylie Jenner, which was the best calculated risk. Mm-hmm. For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication, and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone, powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone. And the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it. From local pop-ups to global retailers, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So how can tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple. Increased revenue, expanded reach and enhanced customer experience. It's a win-win-win. To learn more about how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. So you did that. You learned so much. You were there for a few years, I think. Mm-hmm. A lot of our community end up going to a place where you kind of were, where you're, you've got a great job. You, you learn so much from your boss. There's so many great opportunities And then you realize, but what if I could do something myself? And you sort of toy with this idea of, do I quit my job? Can I even have a six-figure business? Like, what was that like for you? When did you make the jump? And was it an easy decision? It was a very hard decision. So to give you more background into what I did for Ea, so I was with her for five years in total and I started off as an intern. So I interned for a whole year. I worked there for free. I helped her with events, her econ companies, and she also has a marketing agency. And so I worked in all three of her businesses. So econ, events, marketing, and then further down the line as the marketing business grew and we got more staff on board, naturally because I had been there the longest, I fell into a management position. I ended up having a team at one point. I think we had 12 staff, myself and Ea. So there were 14 of us in total. And I had kind of naturally grown into that management position, looking after the team, dealing with all the clients. And I kind of fell away from what I was enjoying and what I was passionate about. And that at the end of the day was marketing. Mm -hmm. I was going from running accounts and posting on social and doing email marketing to all of a sudden I'm managing emotions and dealing Mm -hmm. with client complaints. And so at that point, I kind of tossed up what I wanted to do. And this was actually a year before I went Mm self-employed. And I was approached by a New Zealand company called Stolen Girlfriends Club. And they had at the time had a job. It was production and social media assistant. And it was a pay cut of... I think it was 15 grand at oh the time. Yes, yeah, so it was quite a big pay cut for me to go to that job. But when I looked at the potential career path and trajectory of a business like that, they have an international lens, they do fashion, they do jewelry. I thought this could be a really good spot for me to be in if I wanted to move to London or LA. So I always knew that my job with Ea, given the relationship that we had, 
would always be there yeah no matter what it was and so I resigned this was in December and I was at Stolen Girlfriends Club for 10 weeks and during that time when I was there it was a very different style to what I was used to I was used to being led by a female we had a really close relationship and I went into a business that I just wasn't used to and so I was there for 10 weeks and during that time Ia offered me a promotion back at Explosive Social and Girls in Business and Title here and it was head of growth across all those companies. So I had gone essentially from not having a title within her business, I just naturally became manager of all these staff to going back into a position of head of growth. And during that time, she'd also hired a general manager. So it would have been me, a general manager, and here is the director. I saw a lot of structure get implemented into the business during that time. So I ended up going back. So I ended up back there in April, I think it was. And at the time that was the best decision for me. I was so glad to be back. But then down the track, again, got to December and thought, okay, next year, what do I want in my life? I wrote down a goal list and I also did a vision board and I'm big on visualization and manifestation. And I looked at every single goal on that vision board and I thought none of these align with working for someone else. All of these align with working for myself. And I hadn't even really put that out there yet, but looking at each individual goal around my financial goals, around what car I wanted to drive, around my travel, none of that aligned with working for someone else. So I knew in that month of December that I had to resign and take the leap and do something for myself in order for me to achieve everything I wanted to in 2023. And what were those goals? Do you know what? They were quite materialistic, I'm not going to lie. I have shared my vision board. There are two cars on there. Okay, great. Okay, that makes me feel better. So, I mean, at the time I was 22 when I read this, right? There was a Tesla. A white Tesla Same. was on there. Mine was pink. Oh, was it? A pink Tesla. Oh, I like it. I had travel to like Greece. Same. I wanted to go to Europe. I wanted to go overseas. I actually also had my bank account on there. Same. Really? Oh my God, are we the same person? How much did you have in your bank account? $100,000. Dreaming too small. Okay, I know, but no, no, no. I have three accounts, right? Yeah. I'm going to send you a photo of this after this. $100,000 on one, which was my main income outcome account. Savings account, $50,000. Do not touch. House account, $75,000. So I've got this all on my vision board. So it was split into three. There's a nice amount in there, but if my salary was 80000 and I had a goal of getting over $200,000 in 2023, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> She's realistic. Yeah. So looking at all of those, I just knew I need to make change somewhere because if I stay for another year, although it could have been a great year, I could have helped grow the business. There may have been pay increase opportunities. I knew that basically every goal on my vision board wasn't achievable unless I took a risk and worked for myself. And once you made that realization, was it easy to quit? No. Exactly, isn't it? It's, it's scary. Hard. It's scary. And I think now I'm in the position where I do tell people a lot, just do it. You'll look back and it will be the best decision you ever made. But at the time when someone's telling you that, it's not helpful at all. You're like, okay, but you're where you are. So how does that apply to me? But what I tell people when they ask me, what point did you know you're ready to go self-employed? There's not a point. There is never going to be a point where you go, I'm completely ready to take this leap and I think if you wait till that point it's too late you've missed the boat so my best advice is and what I did was I looked at the clients I could retain so for me I was freelancing on the side already so I had two clients I was freelancing for and I looked at that income and I thought that income can cover all my bills I don't have a mortgage I don't have children I don't have a lot of risk associated with my life it's literally just me and my partner at the time and so I knew these clients here will pay my rent my food 
can support a little bit of my lifestyle. It's not going to make me the money I want, but say I try this for three months. I don't get any clients. It doesn't work out. I could probably try go back to Ia. Maybe she might not have me back a third time, but I could try. Or given my experience now, yeah. I could probably find another job. So I gave myself three months. Three months, not even a year. No, three months. Did you have any emergency savings? Slightly. So Sim, you will dive. You actually see how I budget and you see my money. Although on my vision board I had three accounts, I actually don't have three accounts. Or at the time I didn't. I just had one account, money comes in, money goes out. I never had a budget. I just knew what my rent was, the average of my food. Like I never actually had proper structure with my savings. Mm -hmm. I had money, Mm -hmm. but it was not called an emergency fund. It was, oh my God, do I want to go do this or do this trip? Like I'm going to spend it on that. It was never called my emergency fund. Okay. But did you have like a couple of thousand saved? Yes, I did. So you kind of had an emergency fund. Yeah, okay. Essentially, yes. Yeah, it wasn't separated. No. I don't think you ever feel ready. No. I was on the same salary as you when I quit. I was on 75,000 and I was like, if I make enough to cover my salary in Girls That Invest. If I make $75,000 from Girls That Invest, I'll quit my job. Made that money, didn't quit. Made 100K, didn't quit. Made 200K and I was like, I don't know, should I quit? Like it was dumb. Wow, you did wait a while. It's so hard to leave. It is hard to leave, yeah. But you left. What was the journey like to suddenly be on your own? It was really difficult. I'm not going to lie. Although I had gone from a management position to working for myself, when you work for a business, you have other people who can take accountability and be included in big conversations. And so, although at the time when I left, I was actually general manager, I still had ear as director. I still had staff around me. So if something was to go wrong in the business or a client wasn't happy, there were other things to blame. You know, <laughs> if it was like, if they weren't happy with the work, I was like, well, it's the account manager's fault. If they're not happy with how much they're paying, well, that's ear's fault. Like you always had other people to blame. But when I started working for myself, I know, (laughs) throw it on her. When I had other people, it was easy just to be like, we can all get involved in this. We can all cop it. But when it's just you, it's frightening because there's no one else around you. You're like, it's just me. I've got to take full accountability here. I've got to step up to everything. And that was an amazing learning time as well because I think that can apply to like every bit of your business and your life as well. Like if you do well, the best part in business is you get the rewards Mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. If you do poorly in business... Well, it's, you know, savvy social by Brie. Mm-hmm, exactly. And with the kind of business I have, people really do sign on for me. So if I don't impress them or I don't do good work, then, oh, it's Brie. It's not that company. It's yeah, Brie. That's very true. You and know, that's the same as you though, right? If someone doesn't like your course, it's Sims course. Yeah. It's a, it's a reputation on your personal brand. Yes. That's very interesting. That's very true as well. In your year of business and doing it by yourself, One of the things that I remember to this day, the day I said I was going to quit my job and do Girls That Invest full time, one of my business friends slash mentor said to me, they were like, buckle in, it's going to get lonely. And I was like, well, that's rude. Did you experience that? Absolutely. I definitely experienced loneliness in business. I think when you come from a, a great group, we had great team at Explosive, a great staff, and they were all females around my age. And so every time something happened at work, whether it was something to do with clients or something to do with a staff member, you always had other people around to talk to and bounce ideas off and just vent at the end of the day. And so when I started doing things for myself and no one knew what my day-to-day looked like, no one knew how many clients I was working across, my communication with each client, I just remember at the end of every day, I was exhausted. 
because you talk to like 12 different people in the day and you're doing all these different things in one day. Oh, no, thank you. And at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't even speak to my partner. Like, I can't even talk to you right now. Like, I'm just so exhausted. But he never really understood because he was at work all day. So yeah. he'd come home and he's like, oh, you've just been working from home all day. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not how it I is. I have been working my butt yeah, off. Yeah, and so it's really hard because you don't have anyone who sees what you do day to day. So there's not that level of relatability because they're not seeing everything that you're working across. And I think the loneliness comes into when you're just sitting there all day looking at a computer screen trying to figure out things for yourself. Not only are you trying to help clients with their business, but you're trying to run your own business as well. Like there are so many layers and elements to it. And I could not agree with that more. That's like a new level of loneliness unlocked, I find, when you do business. And how do you deal with that? Talking to friends, to family. I've always been the strong one in my friendships and my relationships where I like other people talking about their stuff. When people ask me, how are you feeling? How's work going? I can really easily go, it's amazing, it's incredible, this, that, and be really surface level. But as soon as I actually started to communicate and talk about my feelings in a stressful day, people do really like to listen and do like to offer a shoulder and and help you through it. And so talking to the people around me and just having a good vent to my sister, to my family, that helps so much. And do you find that it's been different? Because you are you know, someone that's found success so young, maybe not everyone in your age group or your peer group has maybe reached what you have. Is that been a challenge? Have you found differences or, you know, comments where people, people can't help but feel a little bit like, wow, Bree's done so well. Oh no, where am I at? What am I doing? Mm, Totally. I think the first answer to that question would be what I found difficult was given being a business owner, you literally are working 24 seven and it may not be physical work on your computer, on your phone, but your brain is constantly ticking Mm. over. And so when my friends and my family finished work at five o'clock, they were done. Or my partner at the time, he was done. He'd come home, he could put his feet up, relax. He'd had a really hard day, but like he could chill. But I just had this level of like, I don't want to say it was anxiety, but it's like 8.30 at night. I just had my laptop on my lap in front of the TV just in case I got a client email or I had to do some work and no one could really relate to that. And that was difficult because I was always feeling a little bit like I need to be working. I'm not doing enough. But people who have a nine to five don't really experience that to this degree. So that was definitely difficult. Of course. And you were able to get through that? Are you working through that? (laughs) I'm terrible. Don't even ask me. Like, I'm so bad. Guys, Brie asked me the other day. She was like, Summer. And I was like, yes. She goes, what do you do after work? And I thought, first I thought you were being rude to me and just being like, what do you (laughs) do these days? Like, what does someone in your shoes do? And I was like, oh, you know, like I paint my nails. I read. I mean, I don't, it wasn't that exciting. So fair enough. But I was just like, you know, these are my hobbies. I sometimes paint my nails, sometimes paint on a canvas, hang out with my friends. And I was like, what do you do? And she goes, I work. Literally I work. It's really unhealthy, but I'm getting better at it. I live by myself now. I've got flatmates, but my partner and I broke up. I moved in on my own and that's actually probably been bad for me because he used to be like, come watch a movie or like, let's make dinner together. So I'm really in like my hustle era, probably too much, but I love it. I'm like, why would I put my laptop down if I'm enjoying this project so much? Why would I put it down? Because you'll get IBS. <laughs> what do you mean IBS? It's stress related. No way. I never had any problems with my bowels. <laughs> no not the bells not the bells and stress one of my business friends she's a little bit older than us she was like all business girlies get IBS 
and I see it <laughs> and I talk to my friends and we all have these little sweet little pouches from our stress. Like I will be having a normal day and I would have just eaten normal food and I have a stressful moment and I bloat like a <gasps> balloon. Oh my goodness. I've just been diagnosed. and I feel like I do bloat. Yeah. And it's so weird. And then it's just like, you look like three months. Oh it's my a- goodness. All the business girlies having pouches. That's how we can spot all the other self-employed queens around. Like, <laughs> yes, they got IBS too. Me and you, you both, sis. You too. But yeah. And, and long-term that's really bad for I us. I know. It is really bad. It is really bad. I will settle out of it soon. I definitely think your first year in business, you learn a lot as to mm. how you want to structure your company, mm. how you want to run your time. And as you grow as well, especially in service-based business, you can up your pricing, you can change your offerings. So I'm really working on all of that right now, which will hopefully mean next year I can put my laptop down before 10 p.m. But we'll see. We'll see. We're working on it. We are working on it. Now, this is a really great place to wrap up this episode. Thank you so much for sharing so much about your life. I think we could keep going and we will in the next episode. Next week, we are sitting down with Brie again. We have a, you know, a little bit of a series with her and we're going to be talking about if you can really manifest your way to a successful business. We're going to hear part two of how you run your successful business because I don't know if I really believe in the manifestation thing. So. I'm excited for this conversation. I feel like we're going to go head to head a little bit. Are you excited to fight me? I am. I really am. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> All right. We'll tune in next week. I cannot wait. And Brie, thank you so much for coming Thank in. you. See you next week. Bye. And as always, to finish off with the disclaimer, Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. Always do your research and please do your due diligence.